We have had many black conferences before, but a most important thing happened here in Gary, Indiana. For the first time in black political history, black people were able to combine two distinctly different kinds of political power. The power of the ballot box and the power of protest groups. The mobilizing of these two forces here in Gary in this spring of 1972 has greatly increased the political effectiveness of the black community. Because my mouth is wide with laughter and my throat is deep with song, you do not think I suffer after I've held my pain so long. Because my mouth is wide with laughter, you do not hear my inner cry. Because my feet are gay with dancing, you do not know I die. Hello, listeners. This is David Blakesley welcoming you to episode 93 of the Criterion Reflections podcast. Uh, if you uh, listen to these shows regularly, you heard me say at the end of episode 92 that our next conversation would be about Jan Troll's The New Land. And that was a sincere announcement on my part, but uh, plans have changed a little bit as the Criterion channel just recently uh, kind of featured a documentary that was filmed in 1972 and released in sort of a uh, edited, maybe even censored form uh, later that year. Uh, it's called Nation Time. It was directed by William Greaves. Uh, it was filmed in March of 1972 in Gary, Indiana. And I kind of decided to bump this one up on the schedule because, uh, you know, we're recording on February 27th. I'd like to get this episode up pretty quickly in time to at least you know, give a nod to Black History Month, uh, the month of February that we observe every year. And uh, this cha- this film is kind of a, a, a look at a, a pivotal moment in Black history. Um, you know, perhaps one that's been a little bit lost in the shuffle of, of all the things that have happened both before and since. But in 1972, there was an event called the National Black Political Convention that uh, sought to uh, solidify and mobilize uh, Black voters, black consciousness, and the black community into a a viable political force. And uh, William Greaves, who's certainly best known in Criterion circles as the director of Symbiopsychotaxoplasm, parts one and two and a half, uh, he was there on hand with his, uh, I think, son, brothers, and a film crew to capture the proceedings of that event on celluloid. So we've got a, a documentary that's been kind of restored and reissued. It came out last fall uh, on Blu-ray by Kino Lorber. And the Criterion Channel, like I say, has been featuring it uh, kind of as one of their kind of banner uh, top of the page uh, highlights. And so I'm very happy to welcome Jim Tudor as my guest today. He uh, kind of agreed to jump into this with me on short notice. Really appreciate that, Jim. Uh, so let me just welcome you to the show. It's This is our first chance to kind of converse with each other. But uh, thank you for joining me here on Criterion Reflections. Well, thank you so much, David. Uh, I am a tremendous admirer of what you do with this show. And I've been listening to this since you started it. And uh, yeah, the Criterion cast as well. Um, the work you guys do there is just, um, 
it 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 really it really is a tremendous thing. It it really works in service of these great films that we all love so much in the Criterion Collection. That's been you know a big part of my life as well as I know you guys is so. Uh, wonderful to be yeah. here. Well, it's great to have you on, and and well, for sure. And I want to kind of you know kind of give uh, listeners a little introduction to you. You're you're kind of the I don't know facilitator, owner, uh, you know, grandmaster <laughs> of the, the above film dot com. A all of the above, exactly. And uh, tell us just a little bit. I mean, we can go into more detail towards the end of the episode. But uh, what is Zeke Film about? That's kind of how you and I've gotten to know each other through the Facebook group and the website there. But tell us more. Yeah, we uh, started this in 2011 with the notion that uh, cinema is a viable way to build community, to, you know, bring people together. Of course, I'm a bit of an introvert myself, so this is not always an inherent go-to thing for me. I'm also a film critic. So we started a website and the for better or for worse, the website is mostly film reviews because that's what I came in having, you know, as an area of expertise. I'd been reviewing films for uh, Screen Anarchy and its previous incarnation since 2000. Oh gosh, since just about when that site started in the mid 2000s. So I've been at this for a while and uh, Zeke Film, uh, we've taken on a stable of contributors. There's roughly about a dozen or so people who contribute content. It is mostly film reviews, but we do some group stuff. And the whole idea, again, is to foster community, be it online or in person. We haven't done much in-person stuff lately. Nobody has. Uh, But... um, (laughs) Yeah, so that's that's kind of it in a nutshell. And it's Z-E-K-E-F-I-L-M, Zeke Film, like the name Zeke and then film, dot org. Dot org. Okay, I maybe have said uh, dot com. So yeah, but dot org makes a little more sense. So yeah, there will be links in the show notes and we'll we'll get into a little bit more of maybe what you've got currently happening and, and give you a chance to you know, say a little bit more about that you know, website, the community. I, I've certainly appreciated your support and uh, certainly the kind words about Criterion Cast as well. And I agree. I think building community through appreciation of film is a great um, option, especially in these times where, you know, social contacts and the ability to travel are a bit restricted and inhibited. And, and it may be that way for a while. Uh, but even the ability just to connect virtually online with people who have a similar interest and passion. Uh, The fact that we can have conversations, uh, video uh, chats and and things of that sort and, and, and real time live interactions with each other uh, despite the miles, uh, you know, uh, oceans that may separate many of us from each other. I, I think this is legitimate. This is a very powerful, you know, social movement of sorts. And uh, that's kind of what we're here to talk about today in kind of a different sense, a political movement and a moment in uh, in American history where the black community, uh, having endured so much, uh, came together, and in, in at least uh, in this particular event, and uh, a dynamic range of speakers, musicians, artists, activists, comedians, all came together just to kind of um, drop some knowledge on folks. And, uh, you know, even though I've never really heard anything about this event uh, in particular until I saw the Nation Time movie just uh, several days ago, um, it feels like it was a pretty important gathering. 
and one that I'm really happy to see is getting increased exposure, uh, even though there's kind of a discouraging element when you hear people from almost 50 years ago talking about problems that are still very present and seem to have been not sufficiently addressed uh, even up until this time. So, yeah, I know, Jim, one of the reasons you you were agreeable to, to get into this with me is that you've got the Blu-ray, the Kino Lorber Blu-ray, and, and uh, you said you had a review due. So uh, tell me just a little bit about your impressions of the film, and, and we'll just get the conversation going. You, when I saw you, you know, soliciting for, you know, somebody to talk to, to about this film, I thought, well, here we yeah. go. Um, the review is, in fact, overdue. This Blu-ray, I think, came out in late January. Uh, it's a, an interesting release because, as you stated, um, the Black Lives Matter movement and whatnot, no doubt, was an impetus for Kino Lorber and uh this organization called Indie Collect, I believe, that did the restoration of this film. They rediscovered it in a warehouse in Pittsburgh just a few years ago. This has been a lost film uh, almost since its inception. And there's a good reason for that, as it turns out. I learned uh, more about this on the uh, various bonus features on this Blu-ray. But uh, this film was restored in, in 4K and uh, certainly no easy undertaking in so much that William Greaves and his crew, uh, they shot it on 16 millimeter film in this live auditorium. It is a political rally documented on film. Yeah. And, and it was a, a convention filmed in what looks to be like a high school gym. I mean, it's a pretty good size. I mean, there's a few pan shots where they show the crowd. Uh, during, I think, Jesse Jackson's speech and maybe a few other events where it was absolutely a packed house. In fact, one of the very earliest scenes in the film was talking to a group of what looks like several hundred members of the media. So this was not a little anonymous, tucked away event. This was a this was an event that drew a lot of attention. I would even imagine international uh, attention from uh, the foreign press to see what was going on. This was a large gathering of thousands of black people militants, activists. This is still in the days when the Black Panthers were kind of a viable thing. Of course, they were embroiled in legal and, and uh, you know, political controversy because of some of the uh, opposition activities, etc. cetera. Uh, but this was a time when, you know, there was still a very uh, militant edge. Uh, there were concerns about, uh, you know, armed conflict, revolution. Some might call it even terrorism. Uh, you know, now this is this is pretty charged stuff, but uh, you know there was also a, a, a desire to create a legitimate political force. Uh, these speakers had critical words for both the Democratic and the Republican Party, and just to put it in context, this is uh, March of '72, so it was an election year. Richard Nixon was the president. The Democrats were still a very disorganized as far as who they were going to nominate. I think Edmund Muskie was kind of a front runner at one point. He had some uh, scandalous headlines, some things from his past. And, and so there was just this disruption and tumult of who was going to be Nixon's opponent. Nixon, of course, was a controversial figure. He had a lot of opposition, a lot of resentment. The political climate was was pretty tense with uh, difficult uh, and uh, dis dissension about the uh, Vietnam War. Uh, Nixon's own administration was, you know, had its own share of controversies and people accusing them of dirty deals and, and misdeeds. Maybe even in 72 at that early point, 
the Watergate break-in had not even happened yet. But it, this was definitely not a time of complacency. Now, history says Nixon went on to a pretty major historic landslide. McGovern basically got his ass handed to him in the election. Um, but that's a whole nother story. Nobody knew what was going to happen. Nobody knew that Nixon was almost like a shoe in to be reelected at this time. But the black community decided that it was time to sort of rise up a little bit, uh, that they they were about 20% of the Democratic electorate. Jesse Jackson kind of cites some statistics in his very rousing speech. And uh, and so, yeah, basically, it seems to me that William Greaves, and, and uh, there are some links in the show notes here, and, uh, you know, I'm beginning to learn more about his wider career. Uh, you know, he was brought in to just capture this on film, so that there was a, an accurate record of what was said. Uh, being that this was a political convention, they also wanted to release a statement. They wanted to kind of uh, conduct this in kind of an orderly way that this wasn't just a political rally or a bunch of you know angry demonstrative speakers, uh, but there was going to be a, a consensus statement generated by all of this. So these are the things that we see happening on film, but because it was a live unscripted event, Nobody knew exactly how this was going to turn out. And uh, I'd, I'd like to hear just a little bit more about what you've learned about how William Greaves maybe got involved in this. And what are some of the uh, repression, censorship issues? Why was this film kind of squelched and, and um, not able to be released in its original format, which is only 80 minutes. It's not a very long film by any means, but I think they cut about, what, 20-odd minutes out of it for a very limited distribution. Is that correct? You know, I'm not sure about that, but uh, they they did have to do a considerable amount of work on this. I'm curious about one thing, though, just kind of a side sure. question, David. You watch this via the Criterion channel, yes? Yes, that's correct. So as opposed to I watched it on, on Blu-ray. Was your version in black and white or was it in color? It was in color. Uh, and so at the end of the film, it says there were two restorations made. One was in black and white, which apparently was a higher quality because of some of the damage to the original elements. But I saw the color version and the Criterion Channel doesn't really have a lot of supplements or background material. There's a trailer uh, and then there's you know the usual little text lead in that you can read, but uh, that's pretty much it. It's just it's just the the color version. Okay, because I ask because there was that tag that you mentioned that says mm -hmm. they created this black and white version, which to me sounds like an attempt to by taking the color out of the equation, they could nullify some of the imperfections in this source material. And those mm -hmm. imperfections were vast, apparently, more vast than we see, because okay. the uh, commentary track on the Blu-ray is by Greaves' son, David Greaves. And uh, mm -hmm. he's an older man now, and he's remembering this. He doesn't remember a lot of it quite well on the track. You know, there's an interviewer asking him about this and asking him about that. And he's just kind of like, I don't really remember. <laughs> I was just there yeah. as a technician capturing it. Well, one thing that he did do, apparently... He was trying to um, compensate for the lighting in the auditorium, which anybody who's ever done any filming in a convention center or an auditorium knows that the lighting is is inherently terrible. So he contacted Kodak. They said, put a red filter in front of your lens. And that was bad advice. He did this and it, his footage was just horrible. It was red. Oh. So mm -hmm. <laughs> they, mm -hmm. they were able to correct that with today's color correction technology. Uh, but still, you look at the film and you can see that from one camera to the next, 
it doesn't match up the way we kind of expect a, um, mm. oh, for lack of a better term, professionally produced film to look. So there's a there's a very rugged quality about Nation Time, the movie here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, and and they like I said, they did what they could with it. Uh, the the critics who reviewed this, um, it's virtual theatrically released back in October. If you go back and read those reviews, uh, they mentioned they refer to it as a black and white film. So they got the black and white version. Hmm. So that's why I was wondering how it, is the color one only on Blu-ray or not? Apparently, it's not. It, they they did the the black and white version, I guess, for the theatrical virtual release back then right and now they've switched to the color is what it seems so so your blu-ray is in black and white no no the blu-ray is in color also and there is no black and white version provided oh how interesting because i thought maybe the blu-ray would have both for you know i mean it seems like especially for an 80 minute movie you should be able to print or you know you know include absolutely both versions on the same disc uh but perhaps they just didn't feel it was necessary i did not feel like i mean you could tell this is you know this is clearly 16 millimeter source material there is there's a lot of grain uh sometimes you know the image is you know, kind of blown up and, and, and all of that. And, and you're right, you're not dealing with the studio quality, you know, filming conditions. This is a live event. Like I say, sometimes the cameras are up in the rafters or behind the stage and, and, you know, you're, you're culling through the best of what you can, you know, to, to, you know, put, put this presentation together. Um, you also, I don't know what, what kind of resources they had either. I mean, this was, you know, even though there were a lot of people there and there was a lot of support, I would imagine it was probably kind of a, a somewhat of a shoestring budget. There probably wasn't huge amounts of money behind it compared to a typical political convention or perhaps even a, a political action group that's got, you know, deeper pockets and, 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 and richer resources. This is truly like a, a populist movement, people of color coming together uh, to air their grievances, to lift each other up, to you know provide some support and encouragement, but also to uh, to tell it like it is, to to speak truth to power. And to me, that was really the the redeeming quality of this whole thing is just to uh, not just view this as a document of protest, but to really uh, recognize the the inherent power and beauty and strength of this of this community uh, that had been oppressed for a, a long time. I mean, uh, and, and had borne really, you know, severe wounds and scars from even the, the, the immediately preceding years. I mean, the widows of Malcolm X and Martin Luther King both make appearances and, and share some words. Uh, obviously those are pretty high profile uh, victims of assassination, but many, many other people of much uh, less renown, experienced many of those same hardships. And so you you feel this kind of uh, collective outpouring of, of grief, this demand for respect, uh, but also a celebration of life and culture and unity. Uh, it, there's a very inspirational aspect to everything that goes on here, even though you recognize that these folks are, are fighting against the odds and there's a lot of counterforce uh, aimed at them to try to put their movement down and to maintain a, a, a racist and an unjust status quo. So maybe we can just get into talking a little bit about, um, you know, the, the film. I mean, you know, what was your experience watching it? And, and uh, I don't know, how did you, uh, how do you feel like it, it conveys, you know, some of the, uh, the aspirations of this event? Well, I, I feel like it's captured the event in so much as, 
reflecting the experience of an attendee. There isn't mm-hmm. a whole lot here. In fact, there's other than what you mentioned that um, behind the scenes media uh, moment at the very beginning, there's really not much in the way of behind the scenes. And apparently there was some behind the scenes drama in this convention that mm-hmm. we're not privy to. Uh, oh, yeah. Greaves, yeah, Greaves and his crew are just there on the floor um, capturing what happens up on the stage. And that's it. And for me, that uh, I was underwhelmed. I, I, I am in mm-hmm. complete support of what's being said. And I love the passion and the uh, push for justice and the push to have voices heard here and to unify. But as a film, I struggled with this. Um, mm-hmm. It really is just uh, speeches. And it's even though it's only 80 minutes um, and there is some very impassioned speeches, in particular, Jesse Jackson, who I assume we'll talk a little bit more about mm-hmm. um, his speeches is pretty much a highlight, I think for a lot of folks. Uh, for me though, this was, this was kind of a tough watch. This was what they would maybe refer to a few years ago as having to eat your cultural vegetables uh, in the sense that, uh, <laughs> you know, this is yeah. a great thing, a great thing to experience and a great thing to have, um, you know, to have absorbed. But I don't see people just sitting down and watching this for a relaxing night of, uh, of movie escapism. <laughs> No, it's it's very much yeah, you know, like you say, it's it's kind of surface level stuff in the fact that if you were sitting on the floor hearing the speakers and you wanted to have a record of what was said, this film will provide that to you. But I, I do agree. Um I've watched it a the second time now and I, I did find some of my attention lagging on the rewatch towards the end. It it feels like the Jesse Jackson speech is clearly that's 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 the headliner. That's where the film gets its title from. He he uses this concept of nation time as a way of saying, let's pull together as a people, as a nation within a larger nation, you know, the black nation. Um, and, and you know, using Jesse Jackson's by now very familiar kind of call and response, rallying cries, uh, you're seeing Jesse in a pretty young formative stage. I, at one point he says, I'm 21. This is 1972. It's like, was he only really 21? It seemed like he was already a little bit older than that, but you know, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, okay, I guess I could look it up and do the math, but that uh, he was a young man who was destined to go on to become a, a very effective and influential leader. I've actually saw J- Jesse Jackson in person uh, last year when Bernie Sanders came to Grand Rapids, Michigan, and Jesse was out there to endorse and introduce him. Uh, of course, a lot older now, and and uh, is one of the last uh, sort of large gatherings, uh, you know, the political rallies when Bernie was still a viable candidate. Not for much longer, you know, he didn't win the Michigan primary, but I did have a chance to see both of those guys in person, uh, you know, less than a year ago. So, so Jesse's still at it, certainly past his prime, an elder statesman, but here you see him kind of in the full vigor of his youth. And I agree, that really is a pretty impressive speech. And if, for no other reason, just the fact that we've got this preserved is it makes this film worthwhile. But you're right, this is a this is a kind of a historic document. Uh, it certainly does have some some inspirational aspects, but yeah, th- there is definitely the desire for more. You know, talking to the more of the delegates. You know, wh- who are these people? There's a lot of you know 
faces. There, there's a lot of lives being represented, but you don't know anything about them, where they came from, what was their story, uh, what was this dispute that led the Michigan delegation to walk out? You know, it's like a big unanswered question. Maybe there's a historic record somewhere, but uh, that whole thing just occurs and it's documented, but there's no context, no explanation. Yeah, there were some schisms apparently in the uh, mm-hmm. hopes of what would come of this. The And that's to be expected, I would assume. Uh, I was reading some of the uh, information that you provided, David. The uh, Apparently the schisms lied in disagreements over Israel and uh, Israel's um, invading of Arab nations at the time. And then another over busing, you know, busing kids to different schools yep. in the United States. And those two things, I, I that was a, apparently a, a big source of tension on the floor at this convention. I didn't get any of that information from this film. And when the Michigan contingent no. walks out, which is the biggest moment of drama in the film, um, we don't know why it's happening. It, it just happens. Am I wrong? Mm-hmm. Did, did, do you have any kind of understanding no. about what it is that drove these people to their mass exodus? No, you, you can tell that there's movement. Uh, there's an effort from the stage to try to plead with the delegation to stay in their area. Um, you know, there's probably s- some scrambling, some negotiation. There's clearly, uh, a consciousness of the fact that the media is watching and anything that looks like chaos, disruption, dysfunction is not going to reflect very well. Uh, And again, the black community at this time, uh, you know, in 72, as well as nowadays has to be conscious of the fact that any slip ups, any errors, any disputes or unresolved grievances are going to be parlayed right back against them. I mean, look at, you know, black lives matter and how uh, this, this request for justice and equity and fairness and, and respect has, uh, you know, there's been so many forces that are trying to make Black Lives Matter a pejorative term and, and just equate it with looting and anarchy and riots and lawlessness and, and, and all of that. And uh, it's, it's, a, it's a very significant and an ongoing struggle. But, and so I don't know, I don't know if Greaves was denied access to some of that negotiation, if they just didn't have, you know, if it's just by maybe him and a few other guys with cameras, you can only be so many places and, uh, and just the ability to mobilize and get your crew down there to capture the action. That may have been a logistical problem, or it could be that there was just a decision not to air the dirty laundry, not to have people, I mean, who knows what kind of, you know, cussing and yelling and, and whatnot was going on as these different factions were in, in uh, contention with each other. Uh, it may have made for, you know, compelling video, but it might've been seen as maybe too damaging. So it's, it's very difficult to know from this distance, um, how much of a active sort of, um, covering up or, or, or dismissing of these issues was part of that editorial decision or that they just didn't have the material and then maybe just felt like, you know, let's just kind of focus on, you know, what's on the floor and keep it at that rather than doing this more comprehensive behind the scenes, uh, you know, uh, digging into, into the, uh, machinations of, of conflict, you know, that, that certainly would have been better for the historical record and maybe a lot more interesting just to sort of see the drama that's going on there, but we just don't get much of that. 
that's true. Oh, um, I was just going to add to that. David Greaves, the, he, today in the commentary tracks and whatnot, he doesn't recall why the Michigan uh, exodus happened either. Um, he says, we may have we may have learned why that was when we were putting the film together, but of course today I have no recall, he says. So, Mm -hmm. you know, even then it sounds like they didn't know. Um, They really were just documenting it. And this is something that his father, William Greaves, wanted to do. Um, He was asked to do it, I believe, by uh, Mary Baraka, who starts the film at the podium with his own impassioned speech. He's one of the leaders of this uh, movement at the time that holds this convention, uh, Greaves himself paid for this. He paid for it out of his own pocket, which they didn't have a lot of money to work with. So, um, you know, again, they were working with what they had to, to their credit and, um, you know, I guess, you know, shooting within their means here, uh, as far as available film stock, it looks like the film stock might not all match or what, whatever, it's an interesting, interesting document. I I wish we knew a little bit more in the body of the film itself. Uh, it does say mm-hmm. at the very beginning that no consensus was reached in this convention, although it did right. generate the, uh, what's it called? The black the, document? The Gary the black, Statement um, or something. Declaration? Like yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. The Gary yeah, Statement. Yeah, that came out in no May. Expert. I think they... they, they <laughs> They mentioned well, they, yeah. They mentioned at the end of the film that there was a statement that was generated, and and again, this was you know early March is when the convention itself took place. So it took them a couple months of wrangling to to get their their document together. Um, and and you know, you mentioned the two issues, you know, busing and the uh, the role and status of Israel. And of course, when you say the status of Israel, you're also talking about how do we regard the Palestinians and all the issues. And uh, you know, as, as con- contentious as those issues are nowadays, they were they were red hot back then. And I can imagine that, uh, you know, some groups within the larger black community said, you know, we cannot touch those. Those are too polarizing. We'll never get voted, you know, elected to office if we have to run on that platform. Either way you slice the issue, you know, so that's, that's just the reality of politics. Sometimes you have to take stands on issues that are going to, you know, alienate a, a large percentage of your potential voters. Uh, Maybe for legitimate reasons, maybe for reasons where, you know, they're being fed a load of BS and misunderstanding the issue, but you still have to encounter the fact that people are going to, you know, oppose your your stand based on how they currently understand it. Uh, so, yeah, so there's definitely, you know, some some snapshots of of, of hard reality there. Um, but beyond the political stuff, I, I thought there was also some pretty interesting moments just of like I say, that celebration of black culture. Um, and, and, and you get it with the music and with the artists, uh, uh, you know, Richard Roundtree and Isaac Hayes from Shaft both appear. Uh, Isaac Hayes, of course, the composer of the iconic soundtrack, Richard Roundtree, kind of, uh, almost like a successor to Sidney Poitier in terms of the kind of black masculine ideal of, of uh, that time. Uh, you know, very handsome guy, a dynamic performer. I actually did an episode on Shaft with Richard Doyle last year in, in season three of my podcast, and that was kind of a great 
discussion and review of of Shaft as a as a figure who was beyond just the fact that this is kind of a dynamic you know kick ass movie, but he he meant something. He was a black man who was willing to to stand up for himself. He was not just a subservient sidekick. He was the man. He was the main dude, and uh, and there was a a real embrace of of that character and of the energy he brought to it. Um, what do you think about those guys? Or we can talk about Dick Gregory. We can talk about uh, you know the musicians and just kind of the you know the the vibe, the ambience of the uh, kind of cultural aspect of this convention. Yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting portion. It's about an hour into it, if I'm not mistaken, where these entertainers kind mm-hmm. of take the stage for this portion that uh, uh, you know is clearly intended to be the entertainment portion of the night and the music and. It's a, again, just kind of a slammed together, interesting hodgepodge of Dick Gregory comedy, which is not funny. Um, and it's, I don't know that he's, I mean, he, I should take that back. He's, he's doing what he does, isn't he? Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's vintage Dick Gregory, right? Right, right. And so, you know, he's the right guy for the moment here in this time and place at this event. There's no doubt. Um, He comes up there and, uh, you know, but me being a, you know, a Midwestern middle-aged white dude watching this with very little, you know, personal experience close to this at all. I mean, I'm I'm watching this movie to learn, you know, to, to, you know, sure, to try to understand yeah. this black experience in this time and place. So, so to me, you know, I don't, you know, I'm trying to relate to it and I'm, I'm, I'm working to get, to get into it, if that makes sense. Um, and yeah, to Dick Gregory is mm-hmm. from uh, the city I'm from, which is St. Louis. Uh, I, I believe he is. I could, maybe he's, he's got a star on a St. Louis walk of fame. Let's put it that way. So, uh, you know, kind okay. of perk up and see like, <laughs> got oh, a hey, connection, right? yeah, yeah. Right. We got a connection. Now, um, it was good to hear from him and, uh, you know, the familiar Shaft music. Harry Belafonte is also there. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've got a, you know, tremendous re- amount of respect for him. Apparently, Greaves was good friends with Belafonte and Sidney Poitier. And that's how he got them to provide uh, narration for the film itself after the fact, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, which is kind of an interesting addition uh, laid on top of this, you know, very raw documentary footage we've been talking about. We have this poetry and narration by both uh, by Belafonte and Poitier. Is it, I, th- I believe Poitier does the narration and Belafonte does the poetry. Um, I, I believe that's for correct. The, yes. You know, voiceover mm-hmm. for the movie. Yeah, it's interesting. It's um I'm not sure how well how effective the narration and particularly the the poetry that Greaves puts in there uh I'm not sure how well it works. I mean, I've only watched this movie once admittedly. So, mm-hmm. you know, don't take this as an absolute expert opinion. I'm just here to hash it out with you. But I didn't mm-hmm. uh I didn't feel that those additions necessarily strengthened the piece overall, but they were interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think, you know, in a sense, Greaves is bringing in his, you know, illustrious colleagues, you know, Poitier and Belafonte both were pretty strong figures of sort of legitimacy. They both had uh, 
recognition and respect from the broader creative arts community, both in Hollywood and in the recording industry, and and even on, on maybe at the national political and cultural level. I mean, you know, again, I've done some some podcasts about Sidney Poitier films over, you know, again in, in seasons past, and I've got some more coming up uh, later on in this season four. Poitier was a very influential and very important figure because he was a a respectable, dignified, non-threatening black man who was also, you know, virile, uh, you know, masculine, uh, admirable up for his his personal traits, his intellect, his composure, his strength, his dignity, all of that. And and this was at a time when, you know, a phrase like he's a credit to his race was, was you know, considered a legitimate compliment. I mean, as, as awful as, as a statement like that is nowadays, that was the kind of language that uh, political figures, uh, judges, and you know, people of sort of respectable authority would, would say and, and, and say that as a way of giving credit <laughs> or, or of kind of uh, expressing approval. Of, of, of these men. Uh, and so this is kind of just another example of the obstacle that, that this community has to overcome that, you know, not everybody's going to have the, the, the physique and the, and the chiseled looks of a Poitier or the musical uh, talent and kind of the, the global uh, cultural informed wisdom of, of Harry Belafonte, but they want to be taken seriously and respected just, as regular folks, as, as even people with, you know, with really dark skin and very, you know, uh, you know, urban or African or whatever mannerisms, characteristics, there's nothing to apologize for to being that kind of person, to having that kind of mentality, uh, being that kind of background. You know, you don't have to be kind of a dark skinned person who can act white in order to be regarded as legitimate. And so, you know, bringing bringing those voices in and having them play a prominent role in the narration and the mix has certainly its benefits, and it's part of the historic project that that Greaves put together. But you're right; it's in a sense, it's kind of a glossing over. Um, I, I I have you know nothing but respect for Belafonte and Poitier, but you know they shouldn't be seen as kind of the wrapping paper <laughs> that that is needed to to give legitimacy and authority to voices like, you know, Bobby Seale, who was a part of the, uh, the Chicago seven trial and black Panthers. And, you know, Angela Davis wasn't apparently a, a speaker. I don't know if she was in, in attendance there, but you know, these are people who were certainly on the wrong side of the law at the time and could be, you know, easily criticized as having quote unquote gone too far in, in advocating on behalf of the black community. So you, you, you sense some of the tensions that are going on there, like how fast should we push for change? And I think that's another one of the aspects of this film that is just really fascinating to look at through sort of a historic lens. These, these issues that are being spoken of with, with great urgency as, as compelling and needing to be addressed and resolved immediately. And then here we are, you know, um, like I say, nearly 50 years later and still having all the anxiety about, you know, a black man is pulled over by a police officer. There's a disagreement, you know, shots are fired. And, and is there accountability? Is there justice? Uh, is there even the ability to travel in the sense of safety and freedom um, that things are going to be okay if, if you're a person of color 
traveling through certain neighborhoods or or uh, certain cities you know so so the frustration and the disappointment that we recognize that these issues have not really been materially resolved i mean there may be improvements here or there we can point out signs of progress indicators and 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 not to deny any of that but uh, the fact that this movie doesn't feel maybe as much of a relic as it should because the issues that are being addressed are still very much with us uh, that's just kind of a a, a bracing reality that i think makes nation time a, a valuable uh, film to to watch and experience um, you know despite like you say some of the limitations some of the drawbacks some of the things that we wish uh, Greaves had had the opportunity or willingness to explore a little bit more in depth um, it's 80 minutes it is what it is you know yeah and even though yes it's 80 minutes and it is what it is it's it's uh, it's a rough and tumble piece that demanded a lot of a uh, restoration and uh, Richard Lorber, for one, um, you know, felt the same way you do about it. That this is worth putting out there into the world at this time, um, you know, if only to help us reach back and understand that. Yeah, we've made some progress. Sure, um, you can look at the movie and see. Well, there's not a lot of women on that stage, is there? There's no women speakers at all. Um, Jesse Jackson at one point rattles off the number of you know, active political uh, African-Americans in the, the House and the Senate at that time. And, you know, we've we've surpassed the number that he says it should have been. I mean, back then it was far fewer than we have now. So, yeah, in those ways, we've made improvements. But the need to have this this film out there, um, as you say, we we've still got a lot of work to do. Um, I've got, I've got a Jesse Jackson story. If you'd like, I've worn many hats in my own professional career, besides just being a film critic. And, uh, I teach now at the university, some film classes. I also have worked in, uh, professional filmmaking. And when I'm not working on a big time movie set, I would, um, go to, I would do whatever I could. Um, and one of these illustrious little gigs I took uh, back in 2000, circa 2004, was just uh, working as a PA. I was much younger, but I was a production assistant uh, for one day on the video component of a John Kerry rally. And Jesse Jackson mm. was traveling with John Kerry. So I'm sitting there backstage. I wasn't in the rally itself. I was backstage waiting for it to end so that I could pack up equipment and load it into vehicles. Um, I was, I'd been up since probably four 30 in the morning and was slap happy and was sitting there telling some, you know, ridiculous story to my friend when my friend gets this big goofy grin on his face and points goes, Jim, look, and I look over my shoulder and there's a hand, there's a hand where, you know, suit, um, and, and it's, I spin around and it's Jesse Jackson himself. Uh, he'd wandered into this break room where a few of us were just hanging out and was shaking hands. And and he had to wait for me to quit making animal noises and acting stupid. And I turn around and it's like, oh, <laughs> and I and I shake the hand of Jesse Jackson, um, whom at the time, I'll be honest, I didn't know how I felt about him. You know, I was, mm-hmm. you know, I'm I'm not where I'm at now in terms of uh, my political opinions and whatnot. So, you know, to me, this, you know, I guess like David Greaves explains, I was just there. It was just a job. 
But, you know, I'm shaking hands with Jesse Jackson. I turn around and John Kerry's standing there in the doorway, just waving to us all. Um, It's kind of funny because in the (laughs) film we see, you know, the much younger fired up Jesse Jackson saying, I have I will never trust white Republicans and I will never trust white Democrats. We need our own third black political party, period. That's Mm -hmm. where he was Mm -hmm. in 1972. Clearly not where he was in 2004 or when you saw well, or even in the late party. 80s what right right and, and in the late 80s he was a uh, a presidential candidate i think he actually maybe won the primary in 1988 yeah as uh, the the campaign that dukakis went on to win but you know jesse jackson you know certainly made his decisions to stay with the democratic party but you know was this a bargaining chip was he was he saying look we're going to take all the black voters and walk out and kind of do our own thing i mean Certainly, it's it's a way of getting the attention of the Democratic Party, you know, leaders at that time, and uh, of course, we know again that that the Democrats did not do very well in the presidential campaign of '72, even though they, I think, they had majorities in at least the House and Senate. But uh, yeah, so so you know, it's it's been a mixed bag. But you know, Jackson's had a fantastic and very fascinating career. Um, many successes, maybe some, some significant defeats. And again, you know, the way he was framed as far as his own views and his position by his adversaries or his political opponents, and maybe some of his own uh, actions, words, gestures created issues as well. Uh, but that's, that's kind of part of a much larger story. Let's, let's talk a little bit more back about nation time. Now you've had a chance to look at the Blu-ray. You've already referred to some of the re- interviews and supplements. What else is on that disc that would maybe give us some increased context than what we just see on the Criterion channel? Well, mostly it is that commentary track that I've spoken of with David Greaves. Okay. Uh, there's also yeah. a 15-minute or so video interview with David Greaves, which uh, you know supplements the commentary, obviously, and then also with Greaves' wife, who I believe if we hear from her on the Cinco uh, Psychotaxoplasm disc as well, mm-hmm. but uh, she's there mm-hmm. and she speaks mainly of his life. Okay. And his own uh, backstory, which, you know, was, yeah. you know, anybody who's gone through the the, the criterion synchopsychotaxoplasm, I think is probably familiar mm. with this, or at least has heard it before. Um, I just reviewed that disc myself for its re-release on Blu-ray. So yeah. this was relatively right. recent information for me. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a good little Blu-ray. Um, it comes with a booklet. And the booklet is stocked. I started to read the essays in here and the essay just, uh, it's a lengthy essay. I didn't, I didn't actually finish it, David. Okay. I, uh, <laughs> it's, okay. it's, it's, been, right. it, it was good. It was good. But, um, yeah. you know, uh, four, four, four young children in the pandemic house here, it, it, it's not always easy to make <laughs> yeah. it through these things, but, uh, Sure. Yeah. Anybody who's interested in uh, beefing up your documentary physical media collection, you can certainly do that. And of course, uh, as you mentioned, uh, for everybody else, it's there online on the uh, Criterion channel. Yeah. So so no outtakes, no extra footage from the uh, convention itself. It's basically just uh, more like modern day interviews, essays, commentary tracks. Like yeah. I say, yeah, Greaves passed yeah. away back yeah. in 2014. So it's been it's been some years. And, you know, sadly, you know, he never knew that this project would would be restored. But it really is great. I, I agree that the symbiopsychotaxoplasm is is a 
a wonderful film. I, I really love that movie, and, and I, it's great that, that Criterion chose to re-release it on Blu-ray. Um, you know, I reviewed it for my blog several years ago. But he really did have, Greaves, William Greaves had a very extensive career. I apparently directed over 100 films, mostly documentaries, mostly about you know the black experience in America. And there's a website, williamgreaves.com, kind of the official website that it's, again, linked in the notes, uh, where they've actually got access to uh, a few of his films that you can stream online for free to kind of get a bigger picture, uh, uh, kind of wider look at, at what he produced over the course of his lifetime. Because really up until then, I, I mean, I knew he had made other films, but Symbiopsychotaxoplasm was kind of like his one-hit wonder cult movie thing, you know, and then the, the, the sequel that was made, you know, in the 2000s, quite a few years later. But you get a, a sense of a guy who is really always operating on pretty thin resources, just cobbling together whatever film crew and stock he could to capture, you know, the subject of his interest and, uh, you know, socking it away for the historic record, even though it might be somewhat difficult to access a lot of those films nowadays. Yeah. I feel like I need to make a little bit of a confession here. I only watched sure. Symbiopsychotaxoplasm <laughs> when I reviewed that Blu-ray and I did not love it. I didn't have the reaction okay, to fine. it that yeah. I was hoping that uh, so many people okay. like. Yeah, I didn't. I, uh, there was there was something about it that rubbed me the wrong way, and I and and in approaching Nation Time, when the opportunity for, to um, review Nation Time came up, I. I thought, great, not only is this a chance to, you know, get a piece of this black experience circa 1972, but also it gives me another shot at William Greaves' work. And I'm mm -hmm. hoping that I could, um, you know, warm up to that, uh, understand that a little bit better. And I have to say, I'm not quite there yet. I, I, I respect what he's, that, that he's a risk taker. And I respect mm -hmm. that he just goes out there and does it. Um, the final results don't always land with me like I hoped that they would. So that's part of why I took this on. Well, and that's fair. I mean, I, there's no obligation to be wowed or or impressed. I genuinely love Symbio, and and I think it's just a, a fascinating yeah. experience of, as I put it in my review, uh, a film about the filming of a film being filmed. <laughs> it's, just, it's just this, this right. You know, you well, know, and extending layer, this meta referential, uh, this, this gamesmanship that's going on uh, to me was just a, a perfect yeah. uh, spirit of the times, you know, 68 and, and uh, all of that. So I'm a fan, but I, I totally sure, get I... that it may not set as well with some folks. Right. Yeah. For me, like I said, as a, um, I've worked in, you know, professional filmmaking, and I've been around a lot of nonsense. Uh, I've, I've got stories, man. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I've been yeah, around yeah. so okay. much craziness and manipulation, manipulation of film crews. And when it came about that mm -hmm. Greaves was kind of manipulating his film crew with psychotaxoplasm for the greater good of the project, I, uh, part of me recoiled as a, as a crew worker. Um, I, I yeah. was, I couldn't get on board with that. Uh, although I understand, uh, you know, as a filmmaker, I, sympathize with as an artist i sympathize with him but as a crew member mm -hmm. uh, a common schmo you know just trying to make a buck and yeah. you know here's your call time and you show up and you do and then you realize wait a minute what is this guy doing uh 
my sympathies were also with them. So yeah, I was torn on that project. Well, yeah, yeah. Um, but this one, this one's an altogether different matter. Um, th- I, I, I get that. Yeah. Yeah. This one is um, apparently a lot more in what his wheelhouse was at the time. Uh, they say that he was kind of the go-to guy for African-American documentaries for television at that time. Uh, this one was independently done, but still in that wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. So it makes this this one. I think if you know, for somebody trying to get a grip on the William Greaves uh, filmography and and career and whatnot, Nation Time might be the more you know the more typical of what he is known for. Right is 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 this going to be like his signature film? Uh, maybe maybe not. I mean, we've already kind of talked a little bit about the you know possibility of limited resources, less than ideal filming circumstances. He's done um, you know more traditional documentaries: Ralph Bunch, An American Odyssey, Ida B. Wells, A Passion for Justice. Uh, maybe films where he had a chance to do a little bit more of that well-rounded research. You know, multiple interviews, go in depth. Uh, gather, you know, kind of almost like a Ken Burns type of a thing, you know, gather the archival materials, put them on camera. Nation Time is something different. It really does feel like a very almost spontaneous fly on the wall type of a thing, you know, set up the crews, get the cameras here and there, almost like some of the early Pennebaker stuff, you know, and so the 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 film is going to be both limited and and uh, benefit from the quality of the material that it captures, and so again, to me, Nation Time is is more like a document of this particular event. I did enjoy the speeches. I did find them uh, worthy of of reflection and consideration, and I'm certainly glad that they're preserved not just in the text of what was said but the body language the facial expressions the reactions of the crowd you can tell that sometimes these speakers are are hitting notes that resonate with their audience people are standing up and cheering pumping their fists sometimes they're laughing sometimes they're wincing because the the pain that's being uh, referenced there is very personal and very real and, and very recent in memory so it's 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 that it's that capturing of the whole event that to me uh, conveys the value of this film, uh, despite its limitations, uh, despite the fact that it may not be something I'm going to turn to very frequently in the near future or or maybe even for a while yet. Uh, I'm glad I had the experience to check it out and to take it in and to learn from it and perhaps even apply it to some of the issues that are confronting us uh, these days in 2021 and then the uh, spring and summer ahead as we uh, recover from a pandemic, as we work towards a society where we do have a president and administration that has uh, named uh, combating racism, uh, opposing white supremacy as a, as a primary value of what they're trying to accomplish here. I mean, that's great to hear a political leadership speaking about these ideas with that much forthrightness now the question is what actions will back up that rhetoric what we shall see right uh so to me that's i think it's 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 great that criterion put nation time uh as kind of a featured uh 
you know, a, a, a kind of a featured item on their menu, on their channel. Uh, I'm glad that Kino Lorber has brought the DVD there for those who want to add it to their collection. And I definitely appreciate you uh, taking a few minutes to to share with me some of your impressions and give us two Middle Western white guys a chance to talk about you know, our impressions of the Black experience. Certainly, uh, we are, you know, limited somewhat in our frame of reference but i'm I'm glad that we have the opportunity to engage in that this isn't just a movie for you know black people to watch and talk about themselves uh, i think we all need to encounter it and uh form our own response absolutely it's it's a film that is undeniably going to be of interest to people who already have their foot into the uh you know, issues that, that you've covered here, the current issues uh, of race and social justice and whatnot, the, the, the changes that need to happen. People who are invested in that are the ones who I think are likely to be drawn to this and should be drawn to this and need to watch this. Um, but that said, we could all watch it and benefit. And, um, and yeah, it's, it's, uh, I, I'm, I agree with what you say here. It's, um, it's, it's quite the little discovery in this moment in time. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, good. Well, so Jim, let's just talk a little bit as we wrap up the episode. Tell me just a little bit more about what what is going on at Zeke Film. I mean, you, you mentioned that it's a place that kind of primarily a collection of film reviews. Uh, I suppose you could probably put a link uh, on your website to this episode as kind of your <laughs> coverage of uh, of the Nation Time Blu-ray. But what else is happening there? And, and how can people both access the material and perhaps get involved. I'm even thinking maybe I can contribute a piece somewhere down the road. Yeah. Are you taking uh, new applicants? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm always, I'm always taking new applicants and, uh, (laughs) Uh, you know, quite frankly, yeah, you could reach out to me on Facebook. Um, anybody listening to this can, who's interested in contributing video reviews or audio reviews or written reviews of films. Maybe you have a back catalog of stuff that you've stopped um, writing about, but, you know, you've got some good material. I tend to think of Zeke Film, I, I you know, more of a, a film comment or, or sight and sound level writing. Uh, as opposed to say an entertainment weekly, you know, uh, type of thing. So, you know, we, we shoot for a little elevated, but I know the criterion cast um, contributors and audience is probably very sympathetic to that. So yeah, if, if you're somebody who is, uh, you know, has backlog material that you'd like to have a second life, or you're interested in reviewing uh, current films, uh, we do get Blu-rays to review and I can have those, you know, I'm always looking for more Blu-ray reviewers. Uh, we get a lot of Kino Lorber products, so um, mm-hmm. that's that's a possibility. And all right, uh, well, I'll, sure, I'll hit you up on the back channels for some of those yeah. Kino Lorber Blu-rays. Yeah. I, yeah. I so, happily you know, take a take one or two off your hands and write them up. Yeah, yeah, I'm always looking. We're we're looking for more, and yeah, I am the facilitator. I'm the editor. Uh, I'm basically running the show these days. We do have a board of directors. It's an official non-for-profit organization, but at the moment, it really is just the website uh, putting out content, and it's all about that that archive of of content that people can search and find and look back upon. And I think that's something we have in common here with uh, Criterion Reflections. Oh, absolutely, that, yeah. You know, yeah, the back the backlog. You know, somebody who wants to dig in rich to a film like like. Um, you know, this one, hopefully, um, you know, or, or yeah, any others yeah. that you've covered. Um, 
I mean, it's, they find one of your podcasts and there's just a wealth of information there. And, and what you do is so, so valuable for people looking to do that, David, uh, and you're a voice of, yeah. uh, of empathy and understanding and outreach and all those wonderful things making the world a better place. So I want to take this <laughs> opportunity to thank you for that. Well, thank you, Jim. I really appreciate the encouragement and, and the kind words. And yeah, I mean, it is what I aspire to. I, I feel like we're not just uh, here to tell people how awesome these movies are, but the, to, to say, what, yeah. do they, what do they tell us about our life and about our roles in society and, and how we relate with other people and and how we understand people who are very different from us, perhaps by experience, by you know culture, language, ethnicity, whatever the case may be. I think cinema is a great a vehicle to bring us together, to deepen our understanding, to open our eyes to new op- opportunities, new possibilities. And and I <laughs> I do like the fact that I can say, you know, if somebody posts a film uh, question on Facebook or whatever, well, here's my review for I wrote back in 2013. <laughs> if you want to hear what I think yeah. about that. And it yeah, is, totally. it's, it's a, it's, it's a, it's kind of, I think in some ways an underutilized resource, the fact that we've got, you know, both Zeke film, 2011 and Criterion Cast started, I think, in 2009. Uh, I started getting involved there in 2010. Uh, that's a good decade of solid stuff that, uh, right. you know, and, and of course, I think probably you and I could both say we've learned a lot over those years uh, in, in our studies. And, and you know, read back some of our old stuff is, oh boy, that's kind of child's play there, but <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> you know what it yeah. is, you know. <laughs> yeah, we everybody knows that uh, feeling, I think. But uh, Oh, for sure. But, you know, yeah. it's it's still good to have it on the record and then just to share your thoughts. And so, yeah, this has been a, a real fun conversation for me, Jim. Really great to get to know you a little bit more on a personal level. We've been kind of, you know, commenting and liking and just kind of uh, side yeah. by side. But this is a good first encounter. And I definitely look forward to having you back on again. We'll we'll see if there's other episodes that you're able to join me with, with a little bit more forethought and planning. But I'm really happy that this one worked out for both of us. Yeah, no, I appreciate it so much, David. Like I said, I've been hoping to get on here for a while. And the fact that my debut on Criterion Reflections is a film that's not necessarily in my wheelhouse in numerous ways is is uh, okay. I'm, I'm okay with it, but uh, hopefully maybe next time. Uh, <laughs> yeah, find something I, that you'll love and it can get all enthusiastic yeah, yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, and, no, I, I, and I, I, yeah. And I totally understand, you know, the, the format of this show, the fact that we're just going through everything sort of chronologically means, you know, there's going to be some movies that are just like, oh, oh, that was interesting. And I, I definitely like to find to find the positives in all of these films. But you're right. Not everyone's going to be uh, knocked right. out of the park home run. So, but yeah, I, I'm pretty happy with how this all went down. And I really do thank you for your insights, Jim. So uh, we'll be talking to you soon. All right. All and righty, then, uh, Yeah. For sure. And then so for episode 94, we will be getting to The New Land, uh, finishing up that uh, duo of films from Jan Troll. So that'll probably be recording fairly soon. I've definitely got a, an accelerated pace going after a couple months of relative inactivity. So uh, thank you once again, Jim, for uh, joining me today. Thank you, listeners, for uh, checking out this episode. Uh, Jim, where can people find you? Zekefilm.org uh, and the Facebook group as well. Right. It's Zeke Film, Z-E-K-E film.org. And then there's a Facebook group called the Zeke Film Discussion Group, which is just, you know, it's a film discussion group where you can come and not get yelled at. And uh, like the uh, Criterion uh, Now and uh, Criterion Reflections, it's a friendly place. Um, yes, yes. You know, we're, we're open to debate, but, uh, you know, civil debate. 
uh, and it's not a crazy active group at the moment. It has been in the past at times, but uh, for the most part, it's a it's um, it, it's it's a relaxing place. I hope so. You sure. know, somewhere. Uh, so yeah, Facebook discussion group. I'm on Twitter at. Uh, what am I? Jim Tudor film at Twitter, I think. And Zeke film is on Twitter. Anyway, uh, you can find us out there. Yeah. The links are there. So uh, check out the show notes page and get me, uh, I, I'm on, I'm on TikTok a lot these days. I've been kind of mentioning that at the end of these episodes, um, posting at least yes, one or two are. little <laughs> clips there. It's, it's so much fun. The, the engagement is, is off the chain. It's really, yeah. it's really quite, quite fun. Uh, a larger, largely a younger audience. I really enjoy fielding their questions and it's just a fun format to play with. Still doing my thing on Facebook as well right. and Criterion cast to find all my stuff. <laughs> I love the TikTok thing, David. That's so much fun. Uh, my my yeah. my my wife and children are amused uh, when we, you know, I when we look at your videos and it's like, you know, <laughs> the fact that uh, this is gaining traction with the young folks is just uh, it's yeah. you know such as it is is uh, is marvelous. I just got over three thousand followers yesterday, so it's just like wow. amazing. <laughs> and, what are and you I'm, doing? This is amazing. Well, I, I just basically sit on my couch and open up Criterion DVDs and yeah. Blu-rays and talk about them for a minute or less. I know, and uh, yeah, yeah, but it's it's a blast. All right. Yeah, as my wife well, said, again. it's it, yeah. Yeah, my wife said it's like he's like, oh, I got this, and there's this movie, and there's this movie, and there you go, and boom, three thousand yeah. followers. <laughs> <laughs> uh well yeah i'll be working my dance moves and i, I and I, I also got to learn a lot about about yeah. uh, the editing and and all the kind of fancy video tricks i mean right now it's just basically using my smartphone doing some little selfie videos and talking <laughs> but anyways hey. enough about that uh come and check it out and give me your comments and uh <laughs> fantastic okay well it's time to wrap this one up so thanks again everybody we'll talk to you soon bye-bye delegates were many, for the grievances of our people are many. We are a summer people who have had to endure over 400 years of winter. The Black Agenda assumes that no truly basic change for our benefit takes place in black or white America unless we black people organize to initiate that change. It assumes that we must have some essential agreement on overall goals, even though we may differ on many specific strategies. If we are serious, the black politics of Gary must accept major responsibility for creating both the atmosphere and the program for fundamental, far-reaching change in America. Such responsibility is ours because it is our people who are most deeply hurt and ravaged by the present system of society. The challenge is thrown to us here in Gary. The challenge is to transform ourselves from favor-seeking vassals and to take up the role that the organized masses of our people have attempted to play ever since we came to these shores. That of harbingers of true justice and humanity, leaders in the struggle for liberation. near injury we survive because we're still young and correct and black enough to be tough to kill and even harder to keep still we have survived long past and are now 
putting out deeper roots 